Hello and welcome back to Pictorial on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose and I didn't go to art school, but I still love to learn about art. And I'm Betty. I also didn't go to art school, but I still love to learn about art every day and will continue to even after this podcast is over. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so today is going to be the conclusion of a two-parter that... I started talking about in the last episode, which is all about Aboriginal Australian art. I went over a very brief surface scratching history of the um, oldest continuously practiced uh, tradition. I don't even remember exactly what term I used, but it's art that has been going on for over 65,000 years in Australia. And I went up until probably the 1960s and 70s. And now we're going to kind of cover sort of that period until today. I'm very excited to learn about this. Yeah. So I think just to backtrack a little bit from what I was talking about last week. So obviously, I, I mentioned that uh, one of the reasons we decided to do or one of the reasons I decided to research this episode was because of a listener comment about some of the oldest paintings in the world that we talked about. Um, but it actually just also have coincided with some Aboriginal Australian news when I was researching this uh, maybe about a few weeks ago now, probably over a month or two by the time this episode comes out. But um, I don't know if you heard about this, but there was actually recently on October 14th, a referendum in Australia. It's, you know, on the other side of the world. And I didn't know about this until I was researching it. But have you heard anything about this? I heard a little bit about this, not um, a ton, actually, but there, it wasn't it something like there was a referendum and they didn't pass like recognizing Aboriginal tribes or what exactly was it? Pretty much. Yeah. So the referendum itself was whether to recognize Indigenous people in the Australian constitution officially. And just to clarify, Aboriginal Australians and Indigenous Australians, uh, they are full Australian citizens. They have the right to vote. Those were referendums that were passed not that long ago, but, um, you know, maybe about like 50, 60 years ago. And so that's not obviously what this was. This particular referendum itself was to officially actually have Indigenous Australians mentioned like as a part of the wording in the constitution this is based on my knowledge of just doing a brief uh, research about this and australia's constitution is over 122 years old and the result was almost so about 60 percent of people voted no and 40 percent of people voted yes so obviously it didn't did not pass and uh, so again there's so many complexities with these referendums, but the reason it's important is even after Australian uh, Indigenous Australians got the right to vote, there were several referendums in like preceding or yeah in decades uh, after that for them to really be officially recognized as citizens. And so like there were so many referendums just to clarify their right, and this is really just 
another step. Uh, but unfortunately, this one didn't go through. And, you know, we don't have time to get into all the politics. But it is really just kind of another, in a way, it's a setback, but it's another way to represent how there's still so much um, you know, to do for Indigenous Australians to be recognized and to, uh, you know, have uh, their rights clarified, really. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm not there. I don't know the full, like, intricacies of it or whatever. But it's the kind of thing that when you describe it to an outside person, it's like, how is that possibly not passing like how is this possibly a controversial concept it just feels ridiculous yeah definitely and and again like you know this episode where I'm obviously going to mostly focus on art but I think this is important because as I already mentioned in the last episode that a lot of the artworks that are done by Aboriginal Australians are related to um, topics of sovereignty topics of um, how you know there's a significant a contrast of just all kinds of quality of life and problems within um, Indigenous Australians uh, society versus, um, you know, other uh, other groups. So and, and there is just still such a stark divide and obviously also a lot of racism uh, that persists to this day. So it, it is important to know that this is in the context of all of this. Um, and then just for those who either didn't get a chance to listen to the last episode or didn't remember, um, I do. You, I am using Indigenous and Aboriginal interchangeably right now, which again, because there's like lots of different terms, but in this specific uh, two-parter, I'm mostly focusing on Aboriginal Australian art, which are more or less Australians who are Indigenous to the continental part of Australia. And we, and we talked about this a little bit last time as well. It's like this art there there's such a vast history of aboriginal art but also when your entire existence is politicized so much of the art that that comes out of that community especially like art that is presented for people who are not aboriginal who are us (laughs) sitting here consuming it like it's going to necessarily kind of be about that politicization and, and that identity and so that is a lot of what we look at to go back again a little bit, I know last time I kind of talked up until the 1970s, but this particular artist um, I wanted to mention started his career uh, way before that. Um, he actually was someone who had his first exhibition in 1937 um, and is like in general, I think, recognized as like the first internationally famous um, Aboriginal Australian artist. Um, So this page has some of their work. Oh, these are so pretty. Um, uh, In sort of this like little collection of artworks, uh, there's two different kinds. One looks like there's a few that are paintings. And I love the color schemes on these. It's like kind of desaturated almost, but lots of blues and like browns of these these landscapes of of mountains and water um and yeah i just love the way the colors work together and then there also seem to be i can't tell if these are maybe like uh carved in or if they are paintings as well and i'm actually not even sure what this is on it's on i I think it's on wood um but again i just because of the 
the colors that are used. I can't tell if this is some kind of like natural carving of like, again, sort of seems like landscapes on wood um, or if it's painting. Yeah. So uh, the second uh, type of work you see, so it is watercolor on wood. Um, There's also resin and some other residues that I'm not familiar with. Um, so, so, but I think for the most part, they're paintings on, on wood. Um, it's just, I think some of them, because it's been a long time, has faded. So it looks almost like they're etched onto the wood. Um, but as far as I know, it's all painted. That's so cool. These are really pretty. Yeah. So, um, so this, these are artworks by a um, artist called Albert Namachira, and he was um, alive between 1902 and 1958, and um, is or was from a um, area called Western Arenta, uh, which is around this area of the McDonald Ranges in Central Australia. And yeah, like I said before, he was like the first Aboriginal artist to receive um, like wider Australian audience and then also eventually, you know, known internationally. And um, yeah, so he, he painted a lot of a lot of landscapes, um, as we're seeing here. And um, he actually learned watercolor techniques from um, a, a, teach, a teacher who's also an artist. His name's Rex uh, Batarbi. And so he was trained in the skills of European watercolors. Um, and it's probably like one of the reasons why it was easier for him to get recognized by, you know, the white Australian population, because obviously these are the types of styles um, the wider population would have been familiar with. Um, and uh, I did read that there there was this w- was like these types of training um, Aboriginal artists in European practices were parts of like assimilation practices. Uh, Albert uh, Namachira like really got into this technique and, and kind of like in a way looks like made it his own and also, yeah, just created some really beautiful artworks. To this day, he's known as one of Australia's greatest artists. It's unfortunate, uh, and a lot of these stories uh, unfortunately are, despite actually becoming very popular in his own lifetime and um, having like national success um, and uh, at one point making a lot of money, uh, he actually lived most of his life in poverty and unfortunately also died in poverty. So he um, he died in 1958, and this was shortly after he was actually arrested in 1957. This actually does go back to this these referendums that I was talking about and these like, kind of clarifying of rights. Um, so at this time, um, he was granted conditional Australian citizenship when most Aboriginal persons didn't have it. Uh, and, and he was granted this because he was so uh, well-respected. He was, yeah, he was able to basically enjoy life like a regular Australian citizen. But his uh, actually relatives, including his children, were not. So he was arrested in 1956 seven for uh, allegedly giving alcohol to um, an Aboriginal person or Aboriginal persons without being allowed to since he's allowed to drink alcohol but the others weren't um, so then he was imprisoned um, for I believe 
uh, a f- he was in prison for a few months, but he was already in really bad health. Um, he only served two, and uh, he after he was released, he died shortly after, um, and presumably it was due to the treatments that he had in prison. Um, and there was a public outcry about this when it did happen in Australia, apparently. But again, like a, the the greatest, like most well recognized Australian Aboriginal artist, unfortunately died because of these just horrifying policies. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry I don't have anything more eloquent to say, but sometimes truly that just sucks. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it does. And I, 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 again, like, I didn't know anything about this artist before. And I was looking at all these beautiful artworks and then just reading his biography. And I was like, I want to cry because this is. Oh. But I mean, at the same time, but I, I it is, you know, his, his legacy um, did, you know, live on. And yeah, and, and um, these artworks are, I mean, like, yeah, I genuinely like looking at these i have a similar feeling as when i first saw someone like georgia o'keefe's new New mexico paintings it's one of these things where like i would have never just thought oh i want to go visit this random desert um but now looking at a lot of these i'm like oh my god i need to go to australia this is like amazing yeah i mean this just these works make australia look so beautiful and i feel like yeah my vision of australia in my head is not the vision that i see on these paintings which like maybe is a me problem (laughs) um but it really it does it does feel like it changes my perspective on that and i feel this is this is immediately like such a perfect example of what we were just talking about which is like these works are just like an incredibly talented artist creating art like uh that represents uh, his life and his surroundings and what he wanted to to say but and still it's still this inherently political because like he was part of this like wider political thing that was oppression and ultimately killed him nevertheless i like he definitely did pave the way for other australian um aboriginal artists to uh be recognized or or have more opportunities to be recognized. Um, Last week, I mentioned that in the 70s, um, there was kind of a surge of interest in Aboriginal Australian art. A lot of artists at that time took up painting on canvases or wood, um, as opposed to uh, traditionally on bark or in the sand on the desert or on rocks. Um, And so similarly to how uh, uh, Namachira picked up uh, painting on canvases um, and how that became easier for this for these types of artworks to kind of disseminate um, to a wider audience uh, who are more familiar with works on canvas Um, a lot of artists um, sort of in the 70s uh, were able to do that as well except this time um, instead of taking up like European watercolor traditions, a lot of these artists were able to uh, apply the traditions of the, of the artworks that, you know, they, that had been passed down for generations. It just so happens a lot of them were uh, now on canvas uh, or, and using um, kind of like uh, using cam or oil paints and acrylic paints and such. Um, and so the picture I just uh, 
put in the show notes are uh, kind of some examples of these uh, dot paintings. Um, I think we saw some similar stuff in the last episode, but these ones are a little bit different. Um, would you like to describe these ones? These are very cool looking. Lots of texture. Um, there's two different pieces here. The one on the left is uh, it's a lot of brown and kind of off white. Um, it look what it actually looks like is it looks like there is a pattern on a bottom layer that is like black and white and some red concentric circles. Um, and some other geometric shapes. But what it looks like is that there's this layer of kind of dark reddish brown and then sort of this off-white that are this like deeply textured dots. Um, and it looks like that's a layer that's been placed on top and then some of it has been removed in random places so you can see the the other pattern underneath. And then the one on the right is it's uh, the whole thing, it looks like there are these big swaths of color that are purple um, and white. And then over the entire thing are, again, these these textured dots that are, I, I, I guess they actually look like they are horizontal stripes of red and kind of like a, a brown, I guess, a light brown um, that go over the whole thing and give it this dimension. So these are some examples of the dot paintings that we talked about last time where artists are depicting um, ideas from dream time and or from uh, their ancestors. But in this case, they're applying it in more of a contemporary way. Uh, so the one on the left was by uh, this artist called Clifford Possums. And apparently it depicts a possum. Ooh. footprints that look like human forms um, and the circular shapes in the painting represent sites of ancestors travels um, and then and where apparently there were great bushfires um, and then there and then some of the these like more blobby forms represent clouds and smokes rising from the fire um and apparently it's supposed to the smoke and the cloud is supposed to obscure the image so that there's like that's why parts of it are kind of you know um well obscured and you can't see um and then so the one on the right is by an artist called uh Timmy Payunka uh, Japagati. Um, and so these these were both painted in 1972. Um, and so the the one on the right, um, that's the uh, by uh, Japagati, that's purple and white. So this one is a similar painting that shows um, a sacred site, but icons and symbols um, that like would normally be painted in desert paintings, like they're, they're they don't show up on here um and it's abstracted in a way that is um intentionally obscuring and so this goes back to what uh, i mentioned last time where when a lot of these artists first started painting uh dream time and ancestral topics they drew a lot of criticisms from their communities because there were uh rules against sharing sacred sacred culture with outsiders and um that a lot of their community members were were really not okay with it um and but as a compromise uh or also probably these artists wanted to do this anyway um 
was to introduce these intentional obscurities is to mask out certain parts of the um, images or like obscure what would normally be symbols that they would paint um, to uh, demonstrate that they're not sharing the sacred knowledge with outsiders. Um, but still sharing enough to be able to to communicate and and their culture and be able to like continue continue to pass down that tradition um so like i find this really interesting because again like i'm always like oh my god like everyone should share their culture because you know it's obviously important especially when you've been um living under oppression and having people commit cultural genocide towards uh, your people. Um, But it is just this fine balance that these artists have to walk because there are rules against doing this exact thing. Yeah, I definitely understand that. And I like this development that they've made where it's like, we want to share this piece of ourselves through art, but also like, how do we protect these things that are sacred and, and coming up with this um, sort of new version of that because of how knowledge is made in the world when things are let out into the culture of colonizers then it's going to be filtered through that lens and like that and that you know I'm sitting here right now and like as that is just true that like that's part of my experience of the world is that virtually everything that I experience and therefore like everything that I put out in the world like is through this lens of being a part of the colonizer group, um, not in Australia specifically, but like part of, you know, in the wider world. So in cases of things that are sacred and are t- to be protected in whatever thing that is, like you can't let it get out because then it's going to be, even if it is something that like people are recognizing and applauding, it's still going to be filtered through um, the perspective of those outsiders, it's going to be recognized in a way that it is recognized by outsiders. And even though like it may seem like, oh, there's no harm in that, quote unquote, like it, it's just about uh, creating like new appreciation for this art, like new appreciation for this culture. And it's like, OK, but how are you affecting the culture by uh, taking it outside of its original context? And as a person not inside that context, like I that's not my business. <laughs> Let's see. Um, so moving on. A little bit more. Um, I have some more uh, works uh, in the next two links. These are artworks that were done, I believe, in the late 80s and 90s uh, by an artist called um, uh, Emily Amware. Um, And so uh, she's an artist from this a place in Australia called Utopia. Um, uh, I I love these works. Um, But uh, yeah, so if you want to describe the first and second um, artworks. Okay, so this first one here um, is a close-up where it's just the piece itself. And this is another very highly dot-featured painting. Um, And it's a a lot of different colors and shapes. it's, It's yellow, red, and black mostly. Um, but there, we also, I can also see the structure of shapes underneath. It all looks fairly abstract to me. Um, but it almost looks like a ribs maybe, or like a bug with a lot of legs is what a lot of these shapes look like. Um, and then the other picture, uh, is a picture in a gallery. Um, and you can see there are five paintings on a wall. Uh, they're all vertical paintings, but they are arranged right in a row. So you create this kind of horizontal 
line and all of them uh it looks like it's like a black background on the canvas but then there are white horizontal lines not straight lines they're very naturalistic and flowing um that go over all of them and they don't line up exactly like if you put them all next to each other i don't think they would create like one cohesive shape um but they are all definitely like part of the same thing because they are all like evoking the same kind of movement um even though there are gaps in between them yeah so um these are again like very contemporary contemporarily uh, expressed uh, artworks um, by Emily Amrare. Um So yeah, she was actually born in 1910. Um, and so she is, or uh, she was an elder uh, of this um, uh, group of people called uh, Amatira. She had a lifelong custodianship of women's dreaming sites in her clan country. And so she didn't actually take up painting until when she was in her 70s in, in the 1980s. Um, she, I, I'm assuming maybe in retirement, <laughs> decided to take up uh, art and then first did uh, wax, uh, relate, used wax as her medium, but then was like, this is too difficult and then discovered acrylic painting um, and then really fell in love with it. So in 1988, um, the she painted the first one you saw, uh, the one that's of dots. And this one's actually called Emu Woman. Um, and it apparently this was like an she became an overnight sensation and again became like recognized in Australia for this artwork. And um, and this is kind of in a similar uh, motif as some of the previous ones I showed you of the dot paintings. Um, so I, I think like, again, the, this type of artwork was really popular at the time. Um, but she really, I don't think that was like literally her very first painting, but it was one of her earlier ones. Um, so then over the next eight years, she um, made the style kind of kind of her own as well because like she she started to drift away from the dots um and then uh, really turned to things like stripes and rivers and terrain so like uh this second piece is supposed to represent um body paintings of these like curvature uh bodies uh but at the same time a lot of her works including this one are also like relating to things like like natural bodies of like rivers and also terrains um and in a way kind of like melding that sense of like bodily form with earthly form um and again she then also stepped away from using a lot of colors to doing mostly black and white um so yeah so it's really interesting like she was someone who she only practiced for eight years because she died in 1966 um and she but like kind of had this like huge transformation of style uh, from like the beginning of her career to the end of her career. And again, like really made these types of works her own. That's so cool. Yeah. I, you can really see like the natural world that exists in these paintings, even though it's not like exactly representative of those. Yeah. And I think um, again, it's one of the things apparently she was, looking to represent was expressing that root of like kind of just trying to carry that desert painting uh, uh, tradition of 
um, like sand and body. Because based on what I've read, like a lot of the desert painting, like it's it's almost like a performance of your body, like you're doing on the sand, making these like really large pieces of works. Um, so then it's like, how do you translate that idea onto canvas? Because it's really a different medium. Um, so these were just some of the ways she um, presented it. Um, and I, I so I'll put in some links in later in the show notes of some more of her works as well as some YouTube videos actually of um, curators describing her. Apparently she was also just this really lovely, like just cute old lady. Um, so, you know, it, it just seems like, you know, just such a, such a great, such a nice story as opposed to some of the other ones. Um, <laughs> but actually uh, I think I'll, I'll put another link in the show notes right now. Um, she, her artwork actually, did set a record in 2017 her artworks uh this one is called earth's creation um and it actually sold for 2.1 million dollars in sydney again it's like nothing like some of the world record <laughs> like you know artworks that we've talked about in other episodes but for um an aboriginal australian artist um from australia this was like record shattering Wow, that's great. Yeah, so I just put two more artworks um, in the show notes. So both of these pieces, um, I can definitely see similarities between them um, to some extent. One is uh, horizontal, and it's got like a light brown background. It's got a bit of texture in it, a little bit of a dimension to the color. Um, And then it feels almost like there are rivers going across it um like these black rivers uh with a white dot outline around them um and then shapes of a light almost like sandy brown um inside those different shapes there's also something in the bottom right of the painting that i can't quite tell what it's supposed to be but it does it looks almost like a a face on its side um and then the other one is vertical and it's got like a very light uh, sandy brown background, very textured in this case. Um, the, the, I can almost like, like all of the colors on this feel like very rough, like you can see the brush strokes in it. Um, and then we have different shapes. Um, there are four different shapes on it. Uh, three of them are different shades of brown. Um, one is quite large. It, it takes up most of the center of the painting. And then there is like a dark blue one um, in the bottom. Again, you have these like sort of white dot outlines around each of these shapes. Yeah. Um, so these are paintings uh, by uh, an artist called Rover Thomas. Um, and he was from the... Northwest Kimberley region of Australia. It's a part of Western Australia. He did also a lot of different artworks, but a lot of it was about um, also reflecting rapid changes in Aboriginal life. And again, there's a variety of topics, but there a lot of it is about the displacement of his people from ancestral lands, um, as well as conflicts that they've had with white settlers. And so the first one um, 
is called Ruby Plains Massacre. So this is the one that's the browns with the black um, curves through it and the white dots. And so this one was supposed uh, is supposed to represent a specific massacre that I'm fortunately, uh, was, uh, led to a lot of bloodshed and tragedy, um, in a place called Ruby Plains. But obviously, as we can see, it is, you know, this abstract representation of it. Um, and, um, the second one, um, I, I don't think is about any particular event, um, but it's called Two Men Dreaming. And, um, as far as um, like I can tell, there's not a lot of information about this, but um, it, again, it is another example similar to the Amare paintings I showed you earlier, um, like a contemporary interpretation of these uh, dreamings um, stories that were passed down from their ancestors. Um, and yeah, so uh, one of the reasons I brought up Rover Thomas was one, um, that apparently he uh, also did... Uh, receive a lot of critical acclaim within Australia, um, where he actually uh, represented Australia at the 1990 Venice Biennale. Wow, a full circle. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and again, it was it was very important, um, like uh, for you know this uh, Aboriginal representation in for Australia internationally, um, and uh, so and again also. Apparently, uh, one point, uh, Rover Thomas went to visit London and he was walking around the National Gallery and he saw some Mark Rothko's and then uh, he's quoted saying, that bugger paints like me. (laughs) (laughs) What a uh, funny reaction. (laughs) And it is because it's funny, that second painting, The Two Men Dreaming, immediately I'm like, oh my God, I wonder if he's inspired by Rothko. But apparently he wasn't. He was. He didn't know who Mark Rothko was, and I guess had never seen a Rothko painting until he visited the National Gallery and was probably like, "Oh my God, this guy stole my idea." That's so funny because I mean, I can definitely see like similarities to Rothko in this work, but also having you know just looked at a lot of different uh, pieces by Aboriginal artists, like it, it's such a clear part of this lineage of art. Like it fits in so well with the rest of these, and you can see exactly where this inspiration this development came from and it's just like a convergent evolution on this random other artist who has nothing to do with him yeah exactly yeah i i find that just really really like a great coincidence um but yeah i i think um these were yeah basically just some very high level examples of australian artists um you know, within the past number of decades. Um, And again, you can see like a lot of them are just, you know, painting their life and um, stories and, you know, uh, traditions and other story passed down from their ancestors. And some, you know, can be political and have to do with um, some of the tragedy they've experienced, but also a lot of it um, was just about like expressing these like beautiful ideas and concepts and um it is great that a lot of them have been recognized um nationally in australia as well as internationally but i think that it's it's important uh to understand that there is just still a lot of work that has to be done for reconciliation with um aboriginal australians and obviously me someone sitting here in the u.s um not uh being someone who grew up in 
China. Like I have, I'm not an expert about this in any way, but I, I think, you know, personally as someone who has been to a lot of places and lived in a lot of um, countries now, um, I, I really love just learning about these different cultures. And um, I, I, yeah, like I said earlier, I hope to learn even more. Yeah, this has been really great to get to learn um, about this art history that similar to you, like I really just didn't know a lot about before. And now I feel like even just scratching the surface, as you say, um, with a little bit of the history and, and some of the more contemporary artists, I'm, I'm really looking forward to having this background and being able to, in the future, like go to art museums um, and read about art and then like, being able to, to recognize these, these patterns um, and some of these names and all of that. Yeah, totally. Well, I hope this makes up for not mentioning Australia at all in our um, oldest artworks ever created episode. Um, And yeah, so I think that concludes uh, my last topic on pictorial. Wow. (laughs) Well, we'll have one more with one of my topics and then we will have our final wrap up episode, follow up episode, all of that good stuff. (laughs) Yep. So thank you everyone for listening. You can find our show notes at relay.fm slash pictorial and you can find us on Instagram at pictorialpod. I am also on Instagram at Quinster Rose. And I am also on Instagram at Articulations V. I'm also on YouTube as Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, uh, we also have a YouTube channel, Pictorial Podcasts, where we have video versions of these audio episodes. Um, So for this particular one, you will have looked at a bunch of really, really cool um, contemporary Australian art. Thanks for listening, art enthusiasts.